Yeah! There it is! When that robot voice pops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in. Two. Especially if you're one of our geeks in state. Using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Hey, maybe you're walking the dog. Maybe you're just enjoying some grip, winter air. Whatever the case. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you out of the goodness of their hearts, out of their generosity, out of their support, out of their desire for this show to continue. And we are grateful. In return, they get some cool stuff, including bonus shows, video on demand versions of the show, ad free episodes, the, the paid DLC Wednesday program. We get chats that involve spoilers, all kinds of cool stuff. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash DLC pod if you'd like to get in on some of that cool stuff. But this show, the bonus or the main show, I should say, DLC is the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host slash nemesis the guy who's really sticking with this beard thing mr christian spicer hello christian hey buddy uh yeah you know i'm still rocking the the winter beard two two quickies up top one happy new year happy new year two welcome back thank you um as is always the case in our country unfortunately there's been another uh mass shooting this won't be too how do we keep up? Them. How do we keep up? They're too constant, too frequent. Th- this one happened very close to my house. Um uh, and on Lunar New Year as well. And it's just uh I don't there's no answer, but a reminder to love each other, be better, and find ways to make the world a kinder, gentler place. It's always a fun morning yeah. when it's like uh, hey kids, you want waffles for breakfast? Also <laughs> We got to talk about this thing, um, but I'm happy to be back, uh, ready to spend some time with our audience in, in, in this show, and it should be good. But I did want to address that as we saw. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, I can imagine that's, uh, you know, as as we all deal with those things too frequently all over the place and having it so close to home, I'm sure is even more disconcerting. And I, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, Christian. I, you know, you know, it's an awful state of affairs when I didn't even hear about it. Too many, too often. Too many, too often. Well, we got lots of cool stuff to talk about, um, and we'll uh, keep our uh, keep our eyes on on uh, some positivity, as we like to do on the show. And hey, I think it's going to be a really great episode. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am really excited because DLC stands for Duo of Literary Co-Authors. Because we have not one, but two guests for you this week who have teamed up in life and also teamed up to write a uh, video game-centric novel called Who Hunts the Whale? It's Laura Dale and Jane Magna joining us for the first time. Hello! 
Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Look at that. Yeah. They have props. Uh, look, yeah. I, We're very yeah. excited. Our first author copies of that book showed up yesterday. So this oh is the first goodness. time we've had the opportunity to hold them up and go, look, it's a book. We made it. Congratulations. That's phenomenal. <laughs> it looks so good, too. I love the jacket, the, the cover design. It's so cool. Very, very awesome. We're so happy with it. Like, it's it's always tricky to do a, like, um, uh, a retro style pixel art cover and make it come across well because there's so many ways that it can just look a little generic but i'm so happy with how ours has turned out Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about the novel uh where did the idea come from how was the process of of working on it together tell me about it uh so we uh, do a podcast together called queer and pleasant strangers where we basically just talk about the media we've consumed and uh, one of the reoccurring skits was just the two worst CEOs of a video game company talking about how they can exploit their workers every week. Just <laughs> try, trying to make it parody as much as possible. But well, it sounds just like going, it's based in a place of truth. <laughs> stop yeah. building the torment nexus. Yeah. And this is this is the thing is like it, it started off as just a joke between the two of us, but the more that the last few years have gone on, the more that the video game industry has just ramped up the levels of capitalist nightmare that it enacts on its workers and the regularity with which, like, as someone that got into writing about video games because I love playing video games, so much of my job became having to report on the next terrible thing that someone at the top of a company did for money at the expense of their workers. We just needed an outlet for it, something to be like, look, let's have some fun in the space, but also look at the reality of the fact that this stuff is terrible and something needs to change. I, I think that's awesome. And, and what a, what a, you know, I like that you approach it with sort of a, a fun, as you say, you know, satire uh, bent. So it, you know, it's a bit of sugar with your, uh, as the medicine goes down, uh, it sounds it's, that sounds great. It's it's one of those things where like there it's so there are so many people out there that do not want to read it. Understandably, I think about the realities of what goes into the the products they enjoy because it's really depressing to read yeah. account after account after account of real things that are happening to real people. And there's something about like using using parody and satire to sort of get people on board with silliness and ridiculous, and then starting to pull back the curtain as they read and go, no, this is just very real things that happen to people and you should get angry about them yeah well okay so now i have to ask this question because uh you two are married and now have have worked on this together how was that process was it smooth sailing were there arguments how did it go i think it was all pretty smooth uh so laura wrote the entire first pass just a, a skeleton of this sort of thing happens this sort of thing happens she has author experience uh so that helped but the first time writing fiction and I had done a lot of short fiction stuff. So I went through that from top to bottom and wrote the first submitted draft. And anytime we needed anything that was very specifically written from the point of view of a journalist, because Laura has that experience, that's pretty much all her. But most of the jokes are me. (laughs) We we both have things that we're better at and worse at as writers, and we have a complementary skill set, I think, in that like I have the skills to get like a skeleton of a plot that like functionally gets us where we need to be and hits the beats, the right sort of pacing. But when it comes to describing people and having um sort of natural feeling dialogue and the sort of flavor that you have to layer over a story that it to not just be a dry list of things that happened <laughs> jane's really good at that and together 
a story occurred. <laughs> I think the the remarkable thing is is how self aware you both are about your limitations and the other person's strengths and understanding that. I think that's the that's the the trick to to come to, and I, that's impressive from my point of view. We, Definitely we, we, for both of us, we know what we do and what we don't do well, and that's how a project like this works: is being honest about what the other person's just better than you at. Yeah, that's that's are amazing. You listening, Jeff, are, are you? Is any of this sinking well, in? We've been doing this Christian, for going on ten years, buddy. The and, problem uh, is that the, I would be honest if there was anything you were better than me at, and uh, you're just good at everything. My biggest strength <laughs> is all of my strengths. Uh, weakness, I can't even say. Uh, the, weakness, I can't say only, the word. It's just if only that were so. I, I, I it's actually the opposite. Um, the other thing of note is that uh, your novel is published uh, by uh, our friend, friend of the show, Will Harris's Unbound uh, company. Uh, that is very exciting to me. I think this this new model of publishing that Will is uh, is spearheading it, it just it seems like a really really cool thing. I wonder what your experience uh, working with Unbound has been like. Um, I've worked with Unbound on a couple of books. I've had some books published by other publishers that are more traditional publishers. Um, I've done three books with Unbound now. Uh, Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which was an <laughs> illustrated coffee table book of video game character butt reviews. Oh um, my god, that's that amazing. Is, that is one that like, I don't think I would have found any traditional publisher willing to sign on for. But Unbound <laughs> is the kind of publisher, like because they're crowdfunded, where I could be like, I have a silly idea and I'm confident there's enough people who are interested. Will you let me prove to you there's interest? Um, <laughs> the other one, uh, I did one called Gender Euphoria, which was an anthology of trans, uh, trans people's positive, um, gender-affirming real-life stories. I found a lot of issues with traditional publishers getting... I wanted to pay these contributors up front a set amount of money that I wasn't embarrassed to offer them. And mm. a lot of publishers don't want to give you upfront funding for uh, those kind of uh, co uh, contributor led projects. Unbound were like, yeah, no, if you can hit your funding goal, of course we will help you fund contributors. Uh, and then Who Hunt the Whale? Again, it's uh, video game satire is a difficult space to break into in that, like, Unbound is somewhere I had experience with and that knew like coming in i knew what i was doing and when i said you know me and jane working together we've got what we need you to write this they trusted because we'd worked with them before fantastic well it's great to hear and i love to see that that will is shaking up the whole publishing industry and, and letting these these uh these things that wouldn't have a home anywhere else uh potentially uh have an find an audience and that's just so so exciting and so cool and i mean mario's butt has a home in my head rent free i mean um, so i that, feel you know, like I'll, there it is again. Oh, man. I, I mean, I feel like I might be having to order all three of those books right now. Uh, but Ma Mario's butt in particular is one of those that, like, once once Unbound picked it up, I heard a bunch of people were saying, "Like, how did you have trouble getting a publisher to pick this up? This is a great idea." Sure, one in retrospect, books... Mario's butt yeah. sounds like a great idea, but exactly. uh, try pitching once, it. Once you know people will buy in on it, of course people <laughs> will get on with that. It's, it's once oh, that idea amazing. is like incepted into, it's like Captain America's butt. Like Captain America always had a great. <laughs> butt but then chris evans makes it america's butt and it's like yeah, or, or like before that nightwing's butt i mean there was a period it's weird to think that there was a period in time before nightwing's butt was a thing because now all there is is nightwing's butt you know like every comic everything that nightwing's in we got to have that butt shot great well on that note let's jump right into the show and and start the way we always do with story of the week Story of the week, it's the story of the week, story of the week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's where you can send comments, questions, anything you'd like us to know. We appreciate hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But there's also communities you can be a part of. We have a Discord, which is 5x5DLC on Discord, and a subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Check out both of those places. Great folks hanging out, talking games and all sorts of things. I urge you to take part in the communities. But Laura, Jane, you are our guest. So uh, we we don't usually have two guests. So maybe we should fight it out and see who wants to pick the first story. Uh, how about how about Jane? Why Writing you a pick? book was easy together, but picking who does story <laughs> of the week first. That's we're the gonna, conflict. Yeah, we're going to find some conflict if we, it, it, you know, eventually. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Jane, do you have a, a story that you would consider to be your story of the week? My personal story of the week? I'm, I'm, I'm stealing from, from the document. I would go with the Microsoft and Riot news. It Indeed. seems very appropriate for this one. Uh, yes, it definitely uh, definitely underscores the themes of your novel. Uh, we we we've got layoffs. We've got massive massive oh, yeah. layoffs. I mean, across the entire tech sector, sector of yeah. course. Um, you know, Google's laying people off. All, it, it, there's a downturn in tech that is widespread and not just limited to games, but it really came home to roost in the games industry this week in particular. Yeah where Microsoft uh, announced 10,000 job cuts, uh, which they say is in preparation for slower revenue growth. Like, hey, we think the bad stuff's coming, so let's, you know, pass the savings down to the worker. Um, And laid off 10,000 people, a lot of those jobs in uh, the games division of Microsoft. Obviously, Microsoft, bigger company than just games, but um, many of those layoffs happened at 343, Bethesda, uh, you know, even um, even coalition, uh, lots of companies getting hit hard with layoffs. Uh, and as you mentioned, Jane, it's also uh, we reports that Riot uh, is laying off uh, its own big wave of employees in the next uh, few days. So I'm curious, uh, both of you. Obviously, you've had this in your head. Uh, you know this 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 trend this. Um, the way video game industry uh, treats its employees is very much a part of your novels. What's your response to, to I mean, obviously it's sad, but it, is there a, something deeper we can glean from what's going on right now? I think the first thing I want to know is how much they paid out in bonuses to the higher ups for the company for the year before announcing this, or how much those bonuses are going to be any time now. Because it yeah. it's usually like just a way of making more money while just we don't have to pay as many wages. On the yeah. possibly positive side, the only thing I can see there is hopefully some some company has started to realize that continuous uh, growth, just get, getting bigger and bigger forever isn't actually possible. Yeah. So maybe they are going to be a bit more realistic about it, but I, I'm just being far too hopeful about an industry that <laughs> I, I don't believe deserves it. I, I would I would throw in on this that I don't think it's an accident that all of these layoffs are happening at the same time across all of these companies. These aren't even, like, um, Microsoft and Riot aren't even the only video game ones that got announced this week. Uh, Unity has had a big wave of layoffs this week. Um, 
the timing's very specific. Um, you will see a lot of start of the year layoffs in a lot of companies that are shareholder driven because they can make their balance sheet look a little bit better to the shareholders if they do a mass wave of layoffs and have a couple of months where they don't pay those people. That's a little bit of extra money at the end of the year when they look at their uh, end of year income. And it's that kind of short-sighted thinking that's driven by, you know, shareholder-driven companies is that we need to we need to mitigate any sign that we're not perpetually growing infinite wealth that goes on forever. Letting a bunch of people go, sure, that's hurting our long-term, like, level of knowledge and um, stability within our workforce, but it temporarily makes the number slightly higher so shareholders are a little less upset. And that kind of action in response to trying to get the number to go up forever is just unsustainable. And it's what leads to things like this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Laurie, you rightly point out it is not just limited to Microsoft and Riot. Um, Even in our little corner of the video game world, Christian, uh, we saw Giant Bomb and GameSpot both lay off uh, a bunch of uh, people who cover video games. Yeah. the layoffs are are it seems nonstop, and it, you know it's not just the beginning of this year either. We we saw it last year. It's just this this um, really unfortunate uh, yeah. trend that doesn't seem to have any signs of stopping. I guess the only silver lining here is you know I saw a lot of stuff on social media about you know other folks reaching out and saying, hey, if you you know if you're looking for a job now, if you just got laid off, you know we're hiring. Mm-hmm. We're you know we want to help. So there is some of that, but Christian, I, I wonder what your reaction to you know how that's going to play out to us, the people who consume these things. You know, is it is the quality of the product going to suffer? Uh, it's hard because I, I think some of this stuff, uh, you know, in shareholder driven companies, which I think is accurate in how these reporting happens, um, and it's this weird thing of uh, I'm trying to think of a way to succinctly put this, where it's like to some extent. We, not uh, individual us, we, but the collective we are also part of the problem, but not in a way that can actually actuate any real change. Or it's like, I am shareholder. I I am problem. I am capitalist. I, I feed into this. But it's like in the same way that I think it was BP who coined the term for individuals, our global footprint of like, oh, if I don't use a straw, I'll fix climate change. No BP, like, yes, but no, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not like my, if I don't use this one use plastic bag, now things are fixed. It's like, well, there are larger problems in that. And I think when something like this happens as well, that is so institutionalized and, and built into how Western culture and businesses were created and built it feels both um, overwhelming and unsustainable, <laughs> but I don't know how to fix it either, which there's a scene in a movie I probably referenced before on this podcast, Igby Goes Down, where the dad is just sitting in a big office and opens a drawer and it's just full of uh, rode up, nicely rode up cigarettes, like lined up cigarettes. And he's just like, I just feel the weight of the world crushing down on me. And like, clearly he can't do anything about it. Um and that's my long-winded way of saying, I, yeah, I don't know. It it, it stinks. Um, Microsoft's AR, VR stuff also got hit really hard. Um, uh, um, not VR kit. What's their? HoloLens, like their, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and it looks like that kind of stuff is completely shut down. And it's this uh, boom bust mentality of like, everything's great. Money falling out of my pockets. Everything's awesome versus, well, things look bad. So, but we're a team, we're family, we're all in this together. Except the spreadsheet says that Jane, you don't exist to me anymore. <laughs> it's like, The thing that's really depressing about it is we're not even talking about companies that are losing money. We're talking about companies that are making profit with all of these employees, but the profit isn't larger than last year's profit. And that's the problem, I think, is it's fundamentally expectation. Yeah, such a great Um, point. Yes. Like you you look at Ubisoft recently, a company whose games like despite selling less than they've done in prior years, are talking about like games that sold millions and millions of copies as being sales disappointments that we're going to have to uh, put the expectation on the worker to uh, improve improve things and get things going uh, while we t- cut budgets everywhere. And it's like, you're expecting workers to get better results out of less funding, not because they're not making money, but because that money needs to just become a straight line going upwards. It's not enough that it goes yeah. up over time. Like infinite growth is impossible, and every company eventually will reach a point where it cannot keep making the growth line go up. And they either have to be okay with we're making a lot, we're making so much money, and but it's not infinite money. That's the line they come across. It's, a, it's such a great point. I, I wonder if you, in thinking about this, uh, see a way out. I mean, is this is this just a late stage capitalist problem, or? Is it specific? Is there some aspect of it that's unique to the video game industry that, it, or is more acute in the video game industry? And is there a way out of, of that cycle? It's going to be difficult. I think it's maybe possible, but it is going to require a huge amount of change for an awful lot of people who are very comfortable already. And if it's not mm-hmm. personally injuring them, they're probably not going to feel any great motivation to make that big change. At the moment, there are a lot of companies that are doing this thing of blitzflation where they're just trying to make more and more and more money and invest higher and higher and higher before they even start working out if their company is actually viable. So it's it's just a way of making short-term money with no long-term thoughts. And I hope that we will start to see more people thinking long-term. You know, we're, we're worried about lots of things at the moment environmentally. Maybe if we can get all of these things together and go... Let's think about doing good long term and and having an industry and and a world that we can live in and and things work better. The the only other thing I would note is that I think this last year or so has seen a really big improvement in terms of us finally getting the ball rolling on unions within the video game industry, something that this industry has been particularly behind, um, you know, unionization is a big push wherever you are, but like the video game industry barely had any unions of any kind at any level up until maybe this past year. And it's been really reassuring seeing um, a bunch of uh, particularly Q- uh, quality assurance QA worker unions starting to work, uh, blow, um, build up. They're some of the most mistreated and underpaid um, workers in, in the video game development scene. It's really glad to see them starting to unionize. And it's really good starting to see other companies follow suit in the fact that one one managed to do it, and we're seeing more and more and more pop up now. And it's going to take time, but I think collective power, collective bargaining power of workers and people being able to, you know, stand up for their rights in big enough numbers to eventually say to shareholders, it is not fair for you to let us go 
not because we've done anything wrong as workers, but because your line didn't continue to get slightly higher to vertical, that's when some of these things might change. Well, one great, last yeah. point here, I think building on that, it is like this idea, uh, as I'm sitting here, Jeff, realizing today's a sports day for you. Uh, as we're recording good good luck thank you good luck um it's the 90s all over again um but oftentimes in sports well and there's like uh problems it's the head coach is kind of the Mm -hmm. one that gets cut never the owner the owner's not like well my team stinks time to sell the team (laughs) get a new get a new owner who can do this franchise good and business is happening with the washington football club (laughs) but go ahead well that that's not the that's many other things. Everybody's saying, hey, the owner is terrible human. <laughs> yes. And yeah. then still the owner's like, no, I'm not. Look at these other owners. I've got dirt on all of you. And they're like, shh. <laughs> um, in, in business, it seems like it doesn't even get to the head coach, though. The head coach shows up and is like, yeah, I messed up. Ooh, yeah, I really messed yeah. up. Anyway, I get all my money, but you're all fired. It's so it's like. The yeah. number of these statements that come out are like, yeah, you know, we overestimated. We we really thought this year was going to be marbles. And it ended up being a hopscotch. That is my bad. I take full responsibility for it. The next hundred of you that I'm going to name are fired. I will still be here making all of my money, but it is my fault. And it's like, how does that <laughs> work? Yeah. It just it's, it's unfortunate know. that there's only one example I can point out of that, which was um, back during the uh, the Wii U's very poorly selling era when Iwata took a, a, a huge pay cut one year because the company was not doing well financially and he took the burden of that on himself because he was like, no, yeah, we, we as a company took a direction that is not working. The workers should not be paying for that. Mm. That should be the standard. If you are the person at the top making the overarching decisions about where a company goes, you should be on the bill if those decisions don't lead the company in the right direction the people who did what you hired them to do are not responsible for your decisions not panning out yeah uh, and you make a great point about uh about unions it's something we've been tracking here on the show uh over the last several years as as more momentum has has entered that fight and uh it's something we very much support and i you know i've always been a big proponent of union unions i'm in several of them uh myself and have been from most of my life and and uh, I do think that's, I do think that you're right. I think that is the the glimmer of hope in this situation is having more rights for workers only because they band together and demand it. Yeah. So here's hoping. All right. It sounds like that, uh, that is a story that both of you uh, felt pretty passionate about. Uh, yeah. Laura, is there another story that you wanted to bring up? Uh, yeah, I'll jump in on this one. So should we talk about Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League? Yes, we should absolutely uh... talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, so the short version of this story is that some images leaked this week uh, that showed that the game is going to have a battle pass and other live service features. And we can now be pretty confident that those images are real because they have now been copyright claimed and taken down by Warner Brothers. So <laughs> like, that's, al- that's always like the, f- the fun way that you know that this sort of thing is real. Um, I'm, I miss just single player games. I get Tell me these. Tell me these games are going to be like this up front, so I don't get excited about them, and then find out it's another game that's going to become a job. <laughs> it is perplexing. Uh, you know, it, obviously, uh, Suicide Squad: Kill the Justice League is the big next uh, Rocksteady game we've all been uh, anticipating for mm-hmm. many, many years. At this point, it's been oft uh, delayed, and uh, supposed to be a uh, a single player game with online co op. 
which yeah. doesn't sound to me like a game that needs a battle pass. But here we are uh, with <clears throat> with uh, these types of games getting a battle pass. So, Laura, it sounds like clearly you're not in favor of that notion. I, I, I don't know how much of this is to do with the fact that I play video games for work and that I have to have played a lot a bit of a lot of different games and anytime that there is a game with a battle pass i know that like fundamentally a battle pass means that the pacing of the game is going to be changed in a way that is designed to keep me playing longer for the same amount of core content like it is it is going to be there to say yeah we haven't got more things for you to do but there's more things to unlock so stick with us <laughs> and i just genuinely don't find that that is to the benefit of most games pacing. Um, I have played games that have had good battle passes in them that were online only games that were just online multiplayer games that like sometimes it has been valuable in and I'm very specifically thinking of games that had like entirely free battle passes to work through. Um, I see Jane nodding her head and I think she knows which one I'm... I, I, I might leave that for her to get to in a second but generally speaking i'm anytime that i hear a game i was excited about has live service elements i go oh okay you've shoved stuff in here i'm not going to enjoy to pad the runtime out and it's i'm not going to have as much fun as i would have done with it uh, james uh, is there a, a way to do this right is is just the notion that we know it's in there going to be a priori bad or is there is there a possibility that they could that Rocksteady could do this in a way that doesn't feel bad. From the description of the game itself, I can't see why it would need uh, a, a, a battle pass in that way. You could just say there is stuff to unlock by playing the game without putting like timers on it or anything like that. The only time I've really enjoyed anything that had a battle pass was Deep Rock Galactic, where it was entirely free. And we had, what, six months, I think, for the first season to just unlock everything. And you didn't even have to do it in multiplayer. You had access to all of it. The only thing was, it, I just find them really stressful because we got to, we're closing it down in three weeks. And I'm like, play yeah. one yeah. more galactic. <laughs> this, this is oh. a problem both me and Jane have with battle passes, is that fear of missing out. Like, we're both neurodiverse in various ways. And that, that sort of stress that comes in of, there's a limited amount of time. And if you don't get it now, it's gone. Play the game. But it, it's it can be stressful and you never oh, yeah. have to feel stressed about a video game. Like, I, it has turned me off uh, to uh, Marvel snap, which is a game yeah. I adore and was a, hugely addicted to. But the fact that the seasons last a month, yeah. that's not enough time for a season. That's not a season. Because, I don't know if you've seen a calendar, yeah. but that's not a season. If, if, if they kept it around so that like, you know, the new season starts and the new battle pass is available, but the old one's still available for you to do. I don't mind how about Marvel Snap does it in that that game, it's like every few successful rounds of playing, here is a new card to play with so that you're not flooded with too many choices all at once, but you're getting them in the same progression order as everyone else. So that like, you know, I don't mind how that game works other than the fact that play it play it this month or it's gone forever that's where right. i fall apart on it <laughs> yeah i agree yeah it's really soured me on the whole thing because i just feel like i'm constantly underwater and as you point out that's not a feeling that i'm looking for for my recreation i'm not it's, like don't pressure me game <laughs> yeah. i i also don't like that it kind of pressures you to pick up a game at launch 
Because if you don't pick it up at launch and start playing it at launch, when it's most expensive, when you have to buy it brand new, mm. uh, there will be bits of content that you will never get access to because the season pass ended before you pick the game up. It really dissuades people from being able to buy secondhand, from being able to wait until a game drops in price to a point then that's more affordable to them. Because, yeah, but if you do that, there's content that you just can't have because you didn't buy it new like a good little consumer. <laughs> Seems like we're getting back to the same issue over and over, weirdly. No, How's that? Weirdly. Weirdly. Capitalism, <laughs> video games, who can say? Christian Spicer, I know that you are a huge Rocksteady fan. You've been very much anticipating Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League as their next big drop. What's your what's your state of mind right now? Are you uh, are you are you crestfallen? Um I I think there's another side to this story. Uh, I think the capitalism squeezing the stone for everything it's worth is definitely a big part of it. And I do think it's like you hear this news and then there's the reaction and then there's always the pushback of like, no, no, no. We know people hate these, but these NFTs are good, you know, or whatever. It's like, (laughs) no, they're not. We do. Um, Hey, by the way, Christian, I'm glad to hear that your dog is feeling better. Can you can you hear her? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. On <laughs> my on, it's all right. On, on my <laughs> side, it looks like Nvidia broadcast is cutting it all down. So I'll I'll no, ride the mute button a little harder. It's, it's totally fine. Uh, but I know that uh, your dog was sick, yes. and I'm glad to hear that it's doing. She better. is feeling fine. We uh to to fill in all the background noise you might be hearing. Then that if I know that broadcast isn't uh, we volunteer uh, for and with the homeless shelter regularly here today right now as we we're recording early. We have a bunch of folks over and we're doing a bunch of meal prep for the shelter and my dog is not involved in that meal prep. Sounds, um, like, sounds like she wants to be <laughs> much to her chagrin. Anyway, yeah, also, I always think it's better to acknowledge it for the audience. Who's like looking yes. in their house. Like, why is my dog barking with my, you know? No. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. The only reason I did it is per my wavelength. It looked like broadcast was c- cutting it. But the real reason she is barking is I told her about this justice. Mm, news yeah. She was really excited about that game. Live it. She's like crypto <laughs> in a battle pass. Uh, just really upset. Um, so I will ride my mute a little harder. Sorry, listeners. Thank you for letting me know. Um, as I talk, she'll keep barking. The other side of this, though, I think is is the leak. And I don't, I don't, is, are there good battle passes? I like Fortnite. I know Fortnite is divisive, but I, and there is that FOMO. I think that is part of it, certainly. But in the sense that the battle pass is almost a game unto itself of like things you can do. The core concept of the battle royale is there and whether or not you participate in the battle pass. But I think, it's a it's a interesting way to expand a game in that there's more to do different things to do and if you do air quote complete it you get the next one air quote to use a lot of air quotes for free as you've unlocked enough credit to to keep it going um but here for suicide squad uh we don't know the devs intent like they weren't able to get ahead of this story not that i think that you necessarily always should be able to but so far well, at this point, they had they plenty of time. I, that's the other right. They haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> but they like also two. haven't shown any real gameplay for yeah. a game that was supposedly already out. And so, you know, do I think if I picture any of the Arkham games, do I think do not would make this better a battle pass? No. Um, do I hope that Rocksteady figured out a great way to do it? Sure. Do I think they did? Warner Brothers doesn't have a great track record, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. And anytime any developer doesn't say up front that their game is going to have these kinds of things, it reads to me as we 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 know we're a little ashamed of it being in here, but we're doing it 
because we know it'll get money out of people. And again, you 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 bring up Fortnite. I can understand the existence of battle passes in stuff that's free to play where they're trying to find ways to monetize it to a degree. It's always different when it's a full price retail game that it's like, here's something on top that you'll get like just yeah. just let me buy the game and that be enough. Yeah. And I do think we, we, we've been talking at this, uh, and I'll say it even more directly. I think messaging is a huge part of this. And I don't understand why companies don't get that. I I, I went on a pretty big rant uh, when I was talking about Marvel Midnight Suns about how that full price game had a bunch of uh, yeah. purchasable cosmetics in it um, with a whole different um, currency type. And I was corrected, uh, rightfully so, by some folks that uh, emailed the show and said, hey, a lot of that stuff, if not all of it, is the, you know, the, the you know, whatever, the bonus edition, the completed, the, the extra edition you could buy. And they're allowing you to buy that stuff ad hoc. And you can, you know, but they don't message that at all yeah. in the game. They're not saying, hey, this was the, you know, the DLC extras and we're letting you buy it if you want to. They just throw it in there as a new currency and it just feels yucky even, even if that is the case i marvel's uh midnight suns i still have a bit of a bugbear with which is um i wouldn't have had a problem with those cosmetic microtransactions if they hadn't put them in the uh, the, the same menu as the unlockable within game currency ones in right. gameplay where you're like okay here's my list of ones i can unlock while playing and here's one in the middle of the list that i'll never unlock while and playing here's the, much money. much cooler one yeah. that i'll never be able to unlock here's, here's the one that's just going to sit in your menu so that unless you spend real money it's going to look like you missed something while playing like mm-hmm. that's yeah and again i think that kind yeah. of points to the messaging like that's not it doesn't feel good to the end user so it's 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 all psychological manipulation to try and squeeze a little extra yeah. money out of you, and no yeah. one feels good being manipulated into a spend. Yeah, which is why if you've unlocked the next level of the battle pass of this show DLC, you'll get to hear Jeff and I's story of the week. If yeah. you have not unlocked the battle pass, that is the end of the episode. <laughs> we apologize. Uh, keep listening. Oh. How many hours cumulatively have you listened uh, for battle pass level fifteen and up? The show keeps going forever. It just cuts off like mid sentence. <laughs> like that's all you get. Sorry. If you have the battle pass, you do not hear Christian's dog at any point, <laughs> or you only hear it as a like level one hundred. You just get yeah. the whoop, 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 all whoop, dog whoop. all the time. Which, honestly, people prefer to us most of the time. Just let me hear a dog yelping instead of you two idiots. <laughs> I mean, it's like a pleasure. It's, it's she's not being hurt. She's like, a, let me eat that. Is that food for me? How about that food? Can I eat that? It's just all constant, right. You know? Christian, what is your story of the week? Um, we were texting about this and why I think it's interesting and maybe this works perhaps, I don't know if I'm stealing yours, Jeff, but I think about messaging PSVR or PS VR two as it, I guess is it's not PS VR two it's PS VR two. Um, the end of a, it's an end of a letter PS VR two. VR two. I hope you had a wonderful time in Florida. PS VR two. Um, <laughs> Um, this is a device, a peripheral that comes out very soon. Um, and we kind of just got the launch lineup confirmed, but also at the end of that confirmation, it said, look for more, (laughs) you know, a few more might, we might talk about a few more launch window games. Um, and for a headset that I think is very exciting, um, I am left a little crestfallen by this launch 
window lineup in that it is, it seems, in my opinion, primarily existing VR games and many existing PS VR games. And then an inconsistent, we've talked about this before, but an inconsistent upgrade repurchase path where some games it's $10, some games it's free, some games it's buy the whole game again, some games it's, and I, I don't understand this approach when Sony has done different things in the past. For instance, when you bought a PlayStation 5, you got PS4 greatest hits kind of as like a on, you know, a little appetizer as you wait for exclusives to come out. Um, they did weird stuff too. And with some PS4 games requiring an extra bit of money to be a PS5 game, you know, it was inconsistent there too. It's not like this is unique to that. I, uh, sorry, go ahead. I, I think the thing that's like, it's kind of rough here is that you, you can't even use the PSVR 2 to play your PSVR 1 versions of VR games as well, because like, the I don't know why I would upgrade if I was an average person to PSVR 2 to play Tetris Effect on, on, on PS5, when I could use that adapter you had to write off to Sony for to get to plug your original PSVR into the PS5 to not have to pay for an upgraded version and mm. still have Tetris Effect work. Like, having to pay for a new headset to then pay to upgrade the game, it's it's a weird proposition there, pitching. I definitely agree with that. And, and it's a bummer that games like Res, Infinite, and mm-hmm. Tetris Effect uh, have that $10 upgrade fee. It just feels like, come on. You know, they just, if I've got it on PSVR 1, I, I'm your target audience. I'm supporting this thing. Come on. Uh, it, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, and and as you kind of were hinting at, Christian, the inconsistency with which some of the best PSVR 1 games are not mm. part of this list, like yes. Blood and Truth, like Astrobot. The idea that they would not have a way to play that Astrobot game on PSVR 2 at all boggles my mind. There must be some technical thing that I'm not aware of that's preventing it. Because which doesn't make any sense because it does it literally uses the dual sense. It's not like it, it the the new controllers or anything matters, but there must be something because it doesn't make any sense to me that literally one of the best VR games period is not going to be available for this thing, or at least we haven't heard yet. The, the one that jumps to mind for me is Beat Saber. If you're trying to sell this to like a wide audience, Beat Saber for so many people is what they think of as VR. If you can't play Beat Saber on it, why would I get this VR thing? Like, yeah. it's it's some of those really obvious picks that without having access to them, people will go, "Well, why am I picking it up?" And, yeah. and Beat Saber is, I think, is a coming game. It's not a yeah. get it when you have it game, and I don't think they've announced what that upgrade path will be yeah. or not. Which is also, I think, goes back to that same question of like. Oh man, I yes, I've been waiting to play Moss 2 until oh well now it's a full price. Oh, but I have Tetris Effect. Well now it's ten dollars. Well, what is Beat Saber gonna be? And it, it it feels weird for me to have this be a disappointment, but it's like I keep looking for an excuse to buy it because as a good little consumer, I need to fill that hole in my heart with new tech, you know, every so often. Um I've heard so many like neat things about the tech and I'm like, I like the sound of the piece of technology. Just give me something to do with your cool new wider <laughs> field of view and your eye tracking. Everyone who's tried the eye tracking has been like, oh, it's very fancy. It feels very cool. I'm like, okay, well, what, yeah, what can I well, track my eyes to? that do? point, I, I am excited that Before Your Eyes yeah. is one of the new 13 yes. titles they announced. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a game that Christian and I both loved. I think last year was on our 
our five on you know our, our hidden gem list both of us had the same mm-hmm. game i think I recall correctly, and it's a perfect uh, way to exploit the uh, the eye tracking. It's like it's a great. I mean, it's obvious. It's a game that you control with your eyes, uh, and I think I'm hoping that more people get to experience that gem of a game. Um, so, so you know that at least is a positive. Also, I'm I'm really excited to see Song in the Smoke uh, getting a uh, a better version. I think that game was held back a little bit um, by being uh, limited to you know purely portable uh, Oculus Quest um, tech. I think I'm hoping that they, they're they talking about how it, it got a, a graphical overhaul or, or upgrade uh, for PSVR 2. I'm really excited. That's a great game that not enough people played. And there's some other, you know, Last Clockwinder is great. Uh, NFL Pro Era, uh, that's, a, that's a cool game I'm excited what, about. What the, what the Bat is wonderful. Oh, I haven't played that. Is it oh, good? Oh, it's so good. Have you ever played the, the game? It's a sort of semi-sequel to What the Golf uh no i have yeah. not played it but i'm aware of it okay yeah so this is very it's, what, it's very what the golf again it is very here is like some very simple interaction methods do some very silly things with them and we're going to keep subverting expectations the thing i really like about what the bat is that it never outstays its welcome on any one idea be it a gameplay mechanic or a visual goof it does the thing just as long as it has new novel ideas and then isn't afraid to throw it away and do something else it is yeah a very dense set of very fun, silly ideas. Oh, that's great. I gotta, I gotta check that out. Yeah. Um, Jane, are you, are you excited at all about VR? Is that something that, that you're intrigued by or interested Uh, in? I mean, I probably can't afford it, but there's every chance that Laura will get one. So I get to play with it anyway. Um, There you go. Mostly I would, more than anything, I just like more tracks for Tetris effect because I loved the first one. I played it for so long. The music in that is amazing. It's beautiful levels to sit in. And maybe some more Vader Immortal. So, yeah, I'm always excited for more VR. Yeah. As long as it's not going to make me sick again. Tetris Effect might still be my favorite VR game, despite so how little it uses VR. It's it's just immersing yourself in a space. It's so good. It is. It, and supposedly this, this version is going to use eye tracking in some capacity. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but evidently, you know, maybe you can flip a Tetramino with your eyeballs. I don't know. Something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, Christian, I think, you know, obviously this is a, 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 I'm, I have a pre-order in, I'm, I'm excited for February 22nd when this thing launches, I'm, uh, baffled by some of the, the choices here, 30 games at launch. It sounds like a lot, but so many of them are available on other platforms. And I feel like, you know, we've talked about this, who is it for question before, mm-hmm. and it, it feels like most of the people that are excited about it are like me who this is not your first VR headset. And it feels like the launch lineup is made for people for whom this is your first VR headset, um, which, you know, is, is strange. So I, I hope it does well. I, you know, there are very few, I feel like, you know, home run must play, gotta have it, get me to the store game. That horizon game, I hope is a, a real home run. We'll see. But uh, the idea that there isn't like a uh, a new Astrobot or some larger game like a Blood and Truth or or even if you know not getting Half Life Alex on it is, is baffling to me as I've said numerous times. We'll see. We'll see how how it goes. I I hope that the it, it's just so good that uh, developers are drawn to it and we get more stuff and and Sony supports it going forward. But we shall see. 
Uh, all right. Well, we're, uh, we're we're already running long. I don't need to do another story, but uh, that's a, a lot of great stuff to talk about. And we got games to talk about. And I want to get to tabletop time because we have some board game players with us today. So let's jump into the games that we've been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, Jane, let's start with you. Uh, what is on your playlist this week? I've been going back to Basingstoke, which is a bizarre little indie game from uh, Puppy Games. It's a stealth action game where you are sneaking around a fictional version of the English town of Basingstoke, trying to gather up various items and avoid getting eaten by zombies. It has an adorable... Uh, under 18 mode where instead of turning into uh, voxel cartoon giblets when you get eaten you just turn into like licorice all sorts it's adorable <laughs> but, oh, that's um, amazing. yeah it's a game that very few pe- people played and i just really love continuously going back to it i'm not good at it but i really enjoy it yeah no this is a game i wasn't on my radar at all it came out it came out in 2018 it's a uh isometric uh roguelike uh it does look adorable it's yeah. it's very it's really British. It's it's very like down to its core British. You are stumbling your way through British towns, trying to survive as ever ever more terrifying uh, groups of creatures stumble at you. Just trying to be like, okay, if I can just get to the pub, I'll be fine. If I can just make it, <laughs> I love it. Is Basingstoke uh, a a a town that has a reputation for being something in particular, or is it just any old British town? I think the developers used to live there and they said it was just incredibly boring. So they're just trying to make it as interesting as possible. It's, it's one of those places. It. It's one of those places that just has a very drab reputation where no one, everyone knows the name of the place. No one could tell you why they know the name of it. <laughs> I love this. Uh, I, and I love, I love voxel games. That look is very appealing to me. And uh, the, the way things, you know, burst apart and break down to little component bits is, is so satisfying. Um, that's the thing cool. that I'm surprised hasn't taken off more. Was it Rezogun was maybe one of the first air, yeah. like big game, like that ship shooting? I was going to say air flying game because my brain, <laughs> that air game vehicle in the air. Um, cause I, and then there was the, the Zelda like, the Zelda one. I, I can't think of the um, Pixel Quest Hero. I forget what it's called, mm. but it, it kind of had that Zelda y look that was voxel y. Because I, I do think that something that mimics um, the 2.5D look that we're seeing with some of those mm. square games could really work well if it was also voxel-based. So you could go like fly in and have it be 3D with the camera or something. But when it zooms out, it looks like it's on a flat 2D plane. I love that aesthetic. And I feel like maybe much like cell shading back in the day when people were like, I hate cell shading. Wind Waker stinks. Then everybody was like, Actually, this is pretty timeless. <laughs> I I think the thing with voxel uh, art styles is that Minecraft got so popular that the the problem you come across is you make a game with a voxel art style and people will see a screenshot and go, oh, is this a Minecraft? Uh, right. It, it's, it's an art style that got so tied to one game's genre that it was a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy and only games in that genre really used the art style. And more and more voxels just became the open world survival sandbox art style and i think I, a lot I, of people were really so lazy with it as well like they it was just yeah we'll, we'll do a voxel thing we'll try and sort of copy that art style 
without actually doing anything interesting with it. Like you can do a lot with shaders to get like the cell shaded idea while still using voxels. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, great, great points. Anyway, that game is called welcome to Basingstoke. Uh, it's on, uh, it's on steam 35 bucks. Uh, what else is on your playlist, Jane? Uh, I've also been playing Dorf Romantic, another adorable little indie of just building a sweet little town out of uh, hex pieces, which is apparently getting a board game. I love that yes. game. I love that. I didn't know it was getting a tabletop version. That's wonderful. It's uh, but I think part of the joy of that game is its little like, is its, its digital nature. Is It's like, you'll see the little things and they're moving and there's a little train that, and I, yeah. all that like, you know, my little, my little diorama world that I just built tend to just sort of play through until I've run out of blocks and then just go, no, I'm just going to pop into creative mode and make that train slightly longer and have little tugboats going along here. It's just you, super sweet to look at and they keep adding more content to it. That's just free updates. It's a really wonderful game. It's a very Zen, very, I mean, it's the opposite of what we were talking about earlier with games that stress you out. You know, this is a game which just, yeah. are you drawn to creating something that is aesthetically pleasing? Or are you trying to maximize your point totals on you know, adjacent tiles. So I tend to just play through initially, trying to get as high a score as possible. And when that ends, it's like, but now I want to finish that little village over there that I was really <laughs> enjoying building. And it's nice that it's got all those options of just being able to go straight into creative mode from a world you've already started. Yeah. You start to build your own little stories about what's going on in this world. Yeah, By I comparison, I played the the scoring mode only long enough to unlock trains, and then never played that mode again. And just went <laughs> creative. <laughs> uh, I love Dwarf Romantic. I, it's a it's, Christian. Did you ever try it? I don't know if it's a Christian game, not. but I did not. I mean, I, I think it is, but it's the finding time where I'm like, I am just gonna have me time. That's the hard part. It's yeah, like, I will yeah. just relax for a bit. What is that? What is relaxing? It's it's delightful. It's a delightful game. And and the the scoring side of it is actually, you know, there's some really juicy decisions to be made. Like there's some really cool, you know, uh, board game like where am I going to place this tile to maximize my point? Kind of, If you're into that, it's not it's not just a Zen, you know, uh, you know, experience. It's, it actually there's game there. There's a game there uh, underneath the surface. It can be different things to different people. Yeah. Uh, so it's Dwarf Romantic, and uh, welcome to Basingstoke. Uh, Laura, what is on your playlist? Uh, well, I have been doing the thing I've been doing for like the last five weeks, which is playing a bunch of games on the Playdate, which uh, I assume you're aware of this yes. tiny little handheld with a little crank built into the side. Yes. I'm a little over a month ago, and I am absolutely loving just every Monday having my couple of little additional silly little games to have a play around with. Yeah, yeah. The- so I, I remain very skeptical that this thing is fun. And everybody, literally everybody I've talked to that has one is like, I love well, it. I'm like, okay, how do you love how, it? Here's how I will sell loving it. Um, I genuinely really like the you get two games a week on every Monday morning uh, system of it. Because yeah. like they've done a really good job of balancing usually one more in-depth and one lighter game each week. And a week is about long enough to go... I have enough time that if I'm really enjoying this, I can get into it and I have time to really appreciate it before more stuff's thrown at me. If I'm not enjoying it, that's fine. There'll be something new in less than a week. It's been a really good schedule for just having little bits of novelty to play around with. Um, I am a little under halfway through that first season of weekly games coming through. The one I've been really enjoying that showed up this week is a game called Omaze or Omaze. Um, 
that is about you are using this crank to move a circle around the interior of other circles and navigate uh, toward the end of a level. If you reach a point where two circles are touching each other, you can press a button to move from the one you're in to the one next to it. And it starts introducing like little obstacles like, oh, you uh, there's wind flowing clockwise, so you've got to crank a little harder to move your circle like counter to the wind and things like that. The thing where this game really sold me is like maybe 15 minutes in, it starts introducing little enemies that are chasing after you and you're having to move uh, the correct directions around circles to like get to the exit and press the button to hop. To I'm imagining something like Tempest. It, is that a similar... It, it's kind of, yeah. Because the thing is, is this game has no spoken narrative, no worded narrative. It really started to feel like a like a stealth action title. Like I started huh. to really personify these tiny little dots and like, oh no, no, I'm being chased by the guards. I've got to get through to the next room. Um, it's really impressive how much it does with like evoking a tone of a narrative without any words and with just circles moving around the interior of circles. It's it is a masterclass in doing a a lot with a little uh, hmm. with, with game design, and I'm really quite smitten with it. That's awesome. It's amazing to me that this weekly release schedule, which is a, such a mm-hmm. clever idea, I think, uh, as you said, it's 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 kind of the thing that's kept you hooked. It's amazing to me that they managed to keep finding new and interesting ways to to give you a new yeah. experience with a very, very simple input system. I, I've honestly been really impressed at how many uh, creative ideas they've come up for for this. Like, it's just one little crank on the side of the, the handheld. Like, I won't go into huge depth. There was one, I think, last week called Flipper Lifter that is a really simple, basic game about moving uh, an elevator up and down a, a hotel and there's penguins trying to get to various floors and the penguins will get annoyed if they're in the elevator too long, so you've got to take them to the floor they need to go to. The faster you spin the crank, the faster you move the elevator up and down. Um, there's a very creative one called Kranken's Time Travel Adventure, uh, which is uh, a puzzle game about getting a robot to a date on time. But as you move the crank forward or backwards, you are moving forward and backward through their animation cycle. And you're trying to avoid uh, threats coming towards you. So like, maybe there's a bee flying at a certain height. And if you get to a point in an animation where you are bending down to smell a flower, you can sort of hold yourself there and the bee will fly over you. Uh, trying to find points in animation cycles where a threat won't touch you. Wow. Like, there's lots of really, like, they've clearly got a lot of very smart people making really interesting uses of an input device that most other people don't have access to. Yeah. Yeah. I, Amazing. I really like the Play Day. I'm, I'm very, very sold on it. <laughs> Christian, were, weren't you going to buy one of these at one point? Or did you? I was not going to. It came out during the the you know revival of handhelds. Oh yeah, you got all those other ones. Pocket and Steam yeah. Deck and all yeah. the other things, and it was the one that just unfortunately didn't uh, didn't make it my way. What I find most interesting about it is um, the idea that it it's so limited in terms of what it can do, and I think that somehow unlocks creativity because it's not. I mean, people are like, oh, it's the Game Boy. Not really. Like, I mean, it is a very limited specific. device. Very specific, yeah. It, um, it, and, yeah. And that's what I think is really, like, shone through, is letting creators work within a constraint and see what they can do. Like, one of the very first games that, like, when, when I first loaded up was, it's just a surfing game, but all it was is you're controlling your angle on the wave and doing spins in the air 
with the crank and trying to sort of angle yourself correctly so you hit back into the wave and don't lose your momentum. It's a really simple thing that just very much feels intuitive with the, the controller you have. And I'm very impressed with like the variety of things they found to do with it. So just to to refresh my memory, you you pay a subscription fee, right, to get the the games uh, each week? Uh, nope you you buy the device, and there's uh, for the first uh, twelve weeks of the first three months, you just get two games every week that just wow. show up for free. Wow. Um, and at some point in future, once they finally finish shipping everyone's out and everyone's had a chance to do the first season, they may sell a second season. They've said that would be another twenty four games that you'd pay an amount, and you just get your twenty four games over huh. three months. But yeah, no, the first 24 games just show up for free over about three months. Wow, that is so cool. It's it's really charming. I've, like, I picked up a lot of the various handhelds in that big revival, but this is the one that, like, I found myself most smitten with. And this is not a unique uh, perspective. I, literally everybody that I've talked to that has one has expressed a similar admiration for it. And, and I, I really, when I... You know, when they announced it, I was like, oh, that feels like a fun novelty. But, I, I, you know, it didn't it didn't yeah. persuade me to buy one. But now I, every, literally every person is like, it's great. So, yeah, that's cool. That is the Playdate handheld. Uh, Laura, what else is on your playlist? Uh, the only other thing I've been playing this week, and I won't go into huge depth, but I've been I played the demo that's on PS5 for Forspoken, a game that I am deeply concerned isn't going to be very good. Um I am still waiting for my review code to show up uh, for a game that at the time of recording is less than two days away from release. Um, I've seen trailers for that game that have had like single word quotes from reviews that haven't been terribly representative of the quotes they were pulled from. Um, Having played the demo for Forspoken, um, there are some things I really love about it. I think that they have absolutely nailed movement it feels so good to parkour around this big open world. Um, the sort of there's a lot of really nice audio visual feedback as you sort of like sprint around the world, vault over things very naturally. Um, I, I enjoy all of that. I, in theory, like the uh, the combat system, but it feels like it is missing things com- compared to its contemporaries. I think this is its biggest problem. It wants to be a game like something like a Devil May Cry. It wants to feel like a character action game and it almost gets there um you have one half of your controller is dedicated to doing sort of support skills and one half is dedicated to uh, attack skills and you can switch between um loadouts sort of on the fly so you can switch between like your magic loadout and your elemental loadout but what you can't do is switch between which attack and which support skill you have without holding down a button to slow down time and select a radial wheel and swap. Which means that, like, in reality, when you're in a fight, you are largely going to be spamming the same attack button over and over, and you want to feel like you can combo into a different attack, but it's like, nope, you're going to have to slow down time and point your radial wheel and then start pressing the button again. It Mm. feels a lot more stilted than games, like, these sort of action games feel like they should do. And it's a real shame because like, I've really enjoyed a lot of Square Enix's more recent um, action-based Final Fantasy stuff like Final Fantasy VII Remake, Final Fantasy XV. This feels so much more like it's locking you into just mashing a single thing unless you are happy with breaking up the flow of combat. And that doesn't feel super rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm also not sold on the narrative delivery. Everything feels very forced. And like, uh, you know, when you watch like an ad, uh, an animated series aimed at adults and it feels like we're going to, we're going to shove as many swear words in as we can, because we think that that makes us mature and for grownups. Yeah. It's got a real issue with that. Like it's got a real issue with dialogue lines, having swearing in there because, well, this isn't a story for children. We swear in this one. Yeah. And like it, it's a real shame because there's some really neat accessibility stuff in there that I'm very excited about. There's a lot of really good options for making various aspects of the game easier to play for disabled players. There is a lot of like flexibility around difficulty that is really nice to see. Mm. I just wish it felt better to play in the combat. Uh, it's unfortunate. I, you know, I've been, I've been hearing a lot of the, the, you know, uh, oh, feeling for this game. And, and as you said, it's, it's right around the corner. Um, and yeah. I, supposedly the, uh, the PC specs just got released in there. It's like, you have to have the yeah. uh, absolute top of the line PC and there. No, no, no reviewers are getting PC code for the game. It's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of worrisome stuff. Going what, what I've, what I've played of it, of the demo of it on PS5, it does look gorgeous. And it is some of the best feeling traversal in any open world game. But yeah. if if that traversal is taking you to a place where you're going to have a very stilted conversation and then a fight where you just have to use the same attack over and over mm. c- uh, or keep stopping the fight to swap attacks, yeah, that's un- unfortunate. That's uh, a bummer. Um, it, it's weird, too, that developers came out and were like, the demo is not how the game is going to be it's like well, why did you put out a demo if you know it's I, like don't judge because people were negative yeah. on the de- it's very yeah, odd well, maybe i wouldn't be here complaining about the demo if they'd given me review code more than yeah. 48 hours before the game comes out because right now the game's out in 48 hours and that's all i have to judge on yeah yeah i'm in that same boat um all right well that's uh the forespoken demo um christian spicer what is on your playlist the thing I want to talk about is uh, the folks over at NVIDIA. It's public now, um, but that's the GeForce Now Ultimate, which they announced first at CES, which is bringing 480-tier gaming to their cloud service. Um, NVIDIA gave me access to that 4080-tier GeForce Now Ultimate um, for like two weeks before it went public, and I got to toy around with it. People that listen to this show know I'm a big uh, fan of cloud gaming. Rest in peace, Stadia, as you have now um, officially come to an end. Um, And I'm a big fan of NVIDIA's tech. Um, I'm not always a big fan of their GPU pricing, (laughs) but I am a big fan of their technology and things like DLSS3 and the ray tracing and things that they kind of pushed and I think made standard in the gaming space that folks weren't talking about beforehand. Um, and GeForce Now Ultimate is far and away the best cloud gaming experience I've ever had. I've liked cloud gaming. I played a lot of Destiny on old GeForce Now levels. I played on um, xCloud. I talked about playing Forza Horizon via xCloud. I talked about I bought Darksiders Genesis exclusively on Stadia and played the whole game that way. So I've always liked cloud game at uh, Death Store. I played almost exclusively Uh, via cloud gaming what geforce now ultimate the 4080 tier brings to the table um it's 4k 120 frames per second on the dedicated apps on mac and pc um uh ultra super let me i get this right uh i have it here 
where is it? Where is it? Up to um, 3840 by 1600 resolution. So not Jeff's all encompassing ultra wide, but bigger than 16 by nine, whatever that's called. Ultra wide? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's widescreen, ultra wide, then super ultra wide. Right. So it, it has ultra wide support. Um, it also has uh, full RTX. So it has DLSS 3.0 stuff. It has the frame generation. And it it is mind-blowing how in in my play sessions how much it feels like you're playing on dedicated hardware i have a 4080 and i was able to sit at my same station and play a game via geforce now ultimate the 4080 tier and then switch and play that game on my actual hardware running natively and games like warhammer dark tide which we talked about how beautiful that game was with a, a beefy gp and to be playing that via the cloud and getting that same DLSS 3 um, super sampling, frame generation, all the RTX options on high, everything ticked as high as it could be, pulling down over 100 frames, uh, over 100 frames per second. Oh, it also has HDR. Um, and it, it's just mind-boggling how good it feels and the reduced latency. And it also has uh, support for 240 frames per second, um, wow. I believe at 1080 for certain games. So like Counter-Strike, I think Fortnite, some of those competitive games. And then with um, the Reflex technology to be playing a competitive shooter with 240 frame support with uh, you know certain games, it's uh, cherry-picked is too strong of a word, but a selected representation. But in some games, getting less latency than you do natively from like an Xbox Series X is incredible that any game can be that, even if it is selective, even if one other game is like slightly more latency than a series X be having a conversation where it's like, no, 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 I'm playing counter-strike or a competitive shooter with mouse and keyboard support via the cloud with graphics on high. Also PS I'm on a MacBook air from, you know, 2015, you know, whatever it is, is astonishing what this technology can do. I, it, it's hard for me to recommend the service any higher than I, that I would otherwise recommend it. Um, the only drawbacks that I see to GeForce Now Ultimate and what this cloud tech can do now are you have to have a good internet. Um, I played via 5G where I was out in mobile and I put my backbone on my iPhone um, and had good experience that way because I had strong signal strength. So that's you know getting it better than having, if you need to have good dedicated home broadband or something like that as hopefully 5g continues to roll out and becomes more accessible to folks at high speeds but you need to have good internet and then the the biggest limitation and the only reason that i wouldn't recommend geforce now ultimate over buying a beefy gp especially when you consider it's like you can get free trials through a lot of places or it's 20 bucks a month and i think you can get a discount if you buy it in bulk if you compare that cost versus buying a 4080 or 4090 it's like oh i can get years of geforce Mm. now for cheaper than buying the dedicated GPU. The only hang up is that not every game is supported. And I don't think that's an NVIDIA problem as much as it is publishers not wanting to play ball per se, but it's frustrating when like games that used to be on the system aren't anymore. God of War was, and then it went away. They said, if you had it on GeForce now, you'll get to keep it. But like, if you just subscribe right now and you go, Ooh, I want to buy God of War and you go into steam and you buy it. You can't play it via GeForce now. I think EA also took down a bunch of their games, not all of them, but some. 
And so it's frustrating. We're like, yes, Warhammer Dark Tide by that game, you know, if us talking about it sounds like a game you want to play, even if you don't have great hardware and you can play it exceptionally well through GeForce Now Ultimate, cheaper than buying a GPU just for that. Fortnite um, is a game that runs phenomenally via GeForce Now and you can play it again on any device. That's the other selling point of the cloud, right? Like you can sit at your computer where you have your fancy screen or whatever, but then you can also plug a backbone into your phone and have it anywhere. Or you can sit downstairs on your LG or Samsung TV that has GeForce Now built in. Like every screen in your house can be the best gaming console. But because it's not actual hardware, you need the game to support the things. So there are some versions of games where if you have it locally, you can kind of brute force you know, you can GPU it, right? And otherwise it's like, oh, well, this game, the cloud version of this game doesn't support hardware ray tracing yet. Mm-hmm. It will soon. And it's just like, oh, it's the thing where I don't know how you solve it because again, I guess going back to story of the week and capitalism, but like if only every game, yeah, if every game were supported, I would be, you know, outside my house, literally waving the flag, like, bye. <laughs> that's the thing that's that that's that like a little extra plus of the of the steam deck for example is right it's like the steam deck is like you don't have to think about it it's just like your steam library works here some work better than others you know but not everything does you do like some games don't they they don't most but yeah okay but most do yes i think it's a different whatever i didn't need to bring yes more more are available certainly steam deck than than geforce now but to that being said i did find myself uh going back to Forspoken a little bit, Control, um, the game Control by Remedy, I think is one of my all-time favorites. Like it keeps getting higher and higher in my all-time favorite list as I replay it. And Forspoken seems like it should be that, running powers shooting. And it's, the reviews aren't out yet. It's not, it's not Control. Um, the idea that you can deliver 120 frames per second over the internet to me seems impossible. at 4k it doesn't make at 4k sense. hdr and yeah so what voodoo is happening there i don't get it i don't understand it's, it's incredible but i found myself going back to control as i'm replaying it i would play it via geforce now on my steam deck instead of natively because natively it's good and you can play it i get 40 frames per second set the variable refresh rate refresh rate to 40 graphical settings on mid to low have a good experience you can play the game that way but then I click over to GeForce Now. My Steam Deck's getting seven hours of battery life. Yeah. I have full ray tracing on. I have DLSS on. And I'm pulling down over, you know, my, my frame rate is still, my refresh is still 60 frames per second. Yeah. But I'm generating more than that and having this silky smooth experience. It's incredible. If you are on the fence and you haven't tried it, if you're able, especially if you're able to get a six month trial or something like that for free to, to try, I know there is a free tier of GeForce now as well. Um, but there you have to like wait in a queue, this, that, and the other, I think there are more downsides to that version of it. This GeForce now ultimate tier. I've been a convert for a long time, but I think this, this can convert anybody asterisk if the game you want to play is on the service. (laughs) Very cool. Well, it's it. on live. <laughs> What's yeah. that? Oh, it's on live. <laughs> Good callback. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I want to. I, I want to talk board games, so I don't want to. I don't want to run out of time. But I do. There is a game I've been playing. I'll mention just quickly. Uh, there was a uh, a technical test for a game I have been very much anticipating called Inkbound. Uh, this is the new game from Shiny Shoe, the the developer that made um, Monster Train. 
which is a game I enjoyed a lot. Um, and I've been really excited about Inkbound because it just looks so different and so interesting. Um, and it is. Uh, it is very different uh, from Monster Train. Still uh, a roguelike experience, um, but this is an isometric. Think of it like, what if Hades, but turn-based? And you'll say, oh, Supergiant already made that. It was called Transistor. And I'll say, yeah, this kind of reminds me of Transistor a lot, but uh, I never, I ne- Transistor never got its hooks in me. Um, I think Inkbound has, is doing some really interesting things. And it, it is a game that is built for co-op, which you don't see very often in roguelikes. Uh, and I did not play any co-op. Mostly because Christian wouldn't play with me, but that's a game. I, it's not a game for me, Jeff. I played I it immediately, and as soon as you do what you described, like, what if Hades but turn-based? And I was like, what if Hades? <laughs> what if Hades? <laughs> no, I get it. You can always just go play Hades, but I, I like the turn-based nature of this. Honestly, when I first played it, you had said that you weren't into it before I even tried it. And then I jumped in, and the first couple of runs that I did, I was like, oh, I don't I, – I don't see what Christian was saying. I don't, I'm not really – clicking with this game but i kept playing it and um i i finally kind of grokked the combat system which is very i think unintuitive and at least in its current form which is pre-release you know as a technical test it wasn't this game isn't out um maybe they'll have a better onboarding system but they kind of just throw you into the deep end a bit uh i mean there is a you know tutorial ish first mission but it doesn't really explain things very well and what basically happens is you're in this really interesting fantasy world that's unlike any other. It's it's a fiction that they have. I give them a lot of credit for coming up with a just a fresh view of of a uh, fantasy world. You know, so many games it's just like, hey, it's orcs and elves and Tolkien and you know. But this is really really different. Visually, it's stunning, just beautiful, and conceptually, it's so different. I mean, it's built. The idea is, you know, there's ink and and, and is destroying the creativity of the the universe and et cetera, et cetera. But like it just the iconography of the game is very different. It's 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 beautiful. But basically, what you're doing is you are one of several classes. There are three available in this technical test, and uh, you go into a run, um, uh, and you have branching pathways that you can go that always tell you kind of what is behind that pathway. Like if you want to get more gold, which they don't call gold in this game, but uh, when you get more currency, you can go this direction. If you want to get like a a cool power up, you go this way. You want to get some potion, you go that way, whatever it is. And that's very much Hades, right? You know the door of Hades. Oh, I'm going to go through that door because I know kind of what's behind there. Um, And then you arrive at a battle and the battle is this self-contained little circle that you trigger the start of and then enemies appear in it. And the, the circle after each turn shrinks like like a like a battle royale might but much smaller you start much smaller it's a tiny little circle you're in and it shrinks so there's a time limit uh which isn't something i generally like in games but um here it definitely adds urgency and uh you have a certain number of action points that you can spend on either attacks or movement it's the same action points used for both and you always know the bad guy's area of death, <laughs> where their attack is going to hit on the in that slowly shrinking concentric circle. Um, so you're 
what I realized is uh, my goal is to not be standing in the the area of, of pain that the bad guys are going to do at the end of my turn, but maximize my attacks. And you can sort of get orbs that they drop. If you kill an enemy, they'll drop an orb that gives you more uh, action point. And you're doing this sort of dance of how can I attack and be standing in a safe zone at the end of my attack uh, at the same time. And it's it's a really cool little self-contained puzzle the the all the combat and the 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 classes are really interesting one of the things the game does that i really give it a lot of credit for is you can change your class at any time you don't have to independently level up each class there's a little a person in the hub world that you walk up to and you're like different class and they go boop and you're a different class and you walk away uh very cool um and i mean obviously you're getting uh, uh skills and stuff unique to that class so there is a little bit of you know separation of the uh, upgrade paths but mostly the upgrades happened in the course of a run like any roguelike where you're acquiring cool things you're getting new skills you're getting new doodads that give you you know special rule breaking powers and then when you die at the end of that run you lose all that stuff and you have to start over um but I really am enamored by this game and I really want to try it in co-op because I hear that it's built for that the, I wonder how the, the fights would work in co-op as your space to move is getting smaller and smaller. And all those branching pathways, evidently, you vote at, in your co-op group of, as to which direction to go. And, you know, it, I, I think all of that sounds really clever and really fun. It's gorgeous. I think this game has a really bright future and it's lots to do. There's so many quests and, and cool challenges and upgrade things. And, and it looks like there's going to be a bunch more classes when the game launches too so ink bound very much on my radar after this uh technical test i'm not sure when it releases it just says 2023 so uh i i'm 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 intrigued by ink bound all right Curious. that's what's on my playlist let's jump into the good stuff and talk a little bit of tabletop time before we started recording lauren jane said uh that uh you know, this this recording time worked well for them because it was uh, right between board game sessions and i was like i want to live your life um <laughs> uh, so let's talk about what's been hitting your table lately uh, i see some good good games here where, where do you guys want to start you want to start, Jane, with the one we were playing just before we came to record this? <laughs> yeah, we've been playing an awful lot of Terraforming Mars. Uh, today's game, we were adding the Venus Next and the Colonies expansion. So just lots of Terraforming Mars and just more cards than you can possibly imagine. It's a nightmare to shuffle. But uh, yeah, it's it's just nice to have even more variety, even if the card art for that game is a little bit shonky, but it's it's just a great game to build your little engine and slowly capitalism mars <laughs> yes okay, yes exactly it's a fantasy. So our running theme this week uh, and every week i guess um but uh so so terraforming mars uh i've never played it with two it plays well with two yeah it plays well with two i'm told it plays best with three if you can if you can get three together but yeah we it- really enjoy it as a head-to-head it plays very differently to a four-player game in that you have a lot of uh, opportunity to, like, if you can't do something with your two actions, 
there's a fairly good chance you won't have missed your opportunity by the time it comes back round to you, as opposed to in bigger player counts where the board state can change so much more by the time that a loop of the game has happened. Mm. Yeah. It's very um, hard to factor in that sort of like, I'm going to hold back on cranking up the heat this round because when it comes back to me, I can do it twice and get a bonus for it. Yeah. The the other thing with two players is that you have a lot less risk of like someone encroaching on the same sort of thing on the board you're trying to aim for, which means that you can be a lot right. more, I have my little perfect engine and it's not treading on the toes of yours too much. And you can have very lengthy games in two-player where it's like, I'm not even too worried about what you're doing. I'm just making my little perfect engine where I'm doing amazing things. And I hope that they're better than what you're doing over there. Yeah. I, I sort of love that sometimes. I mean, I know the games that that um, that want to have direct, you know, player interaction conflict. And, and, and sometimes, you know, there's a knock on games like that where it's like, oh, I'm just playing a single player game that I happen to be sitting next to another person. But there are times when I really enjoy that. I'm like, I want to make my little thing and make it perfect and just do what I think. I don't want you to mess it up, you know? <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot. I, uh, I think I think very much there's something to be said for I'm playing my own little game and sure I'm playing my own little game, but knowing that you're also playing a game means I've got to play my little game good. <laughs> right. Very well said. Yes. Ex- excellent. I will just burn all your plants. <laughs> uh I love Terraforming Guys. It is it is a truly great game. How do you decide which um expansions you're gonna use on any given playthrough? Um, we've only just really started getting into the expansions. Uh, I'd been just playing more of it. We lent our copy to someone for about six months and apparently they played it but once and their boyfriend was like, mm, I'm not really gelling with this. So uh-huh. just glad to have it back and be playing a load more. And the more I've played, it's like, well, I'm going to play the digital edition and I'm going to play with all the expansions yeah. and then get all of the uh, cards direct from Frixelius. Uh, games and just get all of the the bonus boxes and make all of the extra bits and for a look game on Etsy for fun yeah. looking uh, spaceships to add to it. Yeah. For a game that we've owned uh, owned for so long, like we are very much in the learning the expansion stage for it. Finally, which like considering how many board games we have, it took us a long time to get around to this one. But yeah, this was our first time playing with either the Venus Next or the Colonies. Uh, Venus Next being little extra board that has here are some things you can do on venus and lots of cards that have uh what are they called floating floaters uh Uh, you're sort of little floating cubes that can do sort of assorted things across various cards Uh, and then the colonies is about like sort of building up certain extra resources and going and doing trades that get better with time Uh, both of them are like Nice little additions, but they also like really drew us away from the main board. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's one of the least main board intensive games of Terraforming Mars we've ever played. Yeah. It was, that's interesting. I think it was the first time we've had specifically about we were each trying to build an engine, and it's usually one of us is building an engine and the other one is very specifically terraforming. And mm. and being able to interact that way, but this is the first time we've gone we've got to the end of the game, there's like three cities on the board and maybe six greenery. <laughs> well, Wow. Yeah. Oh man, that's cool. I've not, I've not played with either of those expansions, but um, that sounds really cool. It is the, it is the balance problem of like, does the expansion sort of overwhelm the original game and, and, you know, you're just doing the expansion stuff. It, it felt like we were still playing terraforming Mars, even if we weren't putting a lot of our tokens on the board, Mm. 
the the game flow still felt the same. The the mechanics we were thinking about, like it didn't feel like we were playing a fundamentally different game, even if where our resources went did shift a big step to the side. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. That is a great game, Terraforming Mars. Uh, makes me want to play it right now. Uh, I, I see listed also here, uh, you have the Everdell Complete Collection, yes. which uh, I understand is uh, it's like adding another room to your house. It's, it's enormous, right? I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's almost as big as Frosthaven. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which our, our copy of Frosthaven just turned up yesterday. Um, Mine's sitting right over there. Yeah. Spent four hours setting the box up ready to play. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've been playing a lot of Everdell recently. Like, we, we, we got really into the game when, like, we've got some friends who had the base game, and we enjoyed it a lot. We, we like a good worker placement, and it's obviously... Everdell's very much sold on its adorable art and yeah. all of its lovely little mechanics, but little bits. Yeah. We we were enthralled enough by the base game to just jump straight to what if we had every expansion and all of the nice pieces in the wooden Everdell tree, and we've been really enjoying playing a lot of that game. It's it's one of the best games I've played in terms of the expansions feeling like they they very nicely complement the main board and don't pull you away from it, like. It, it, very different to those terraforming Mars expansions we were talking about. Um, uh, we played a four-player game recently with uh, what's the expansion with the trains called, Jane? New Leaf. New Leaf, um, which is an expansion that adds um, objective cards that are sort of train passengers that have come in that you can sort of purchase, and if you complete the objective on them, they'll be worth points. It comes with a little train ticket that you can use every now and then to take a worker that's already on the board and move them to a different space. So you get like an extra worker action, but also free a space up to send someone else to, if you want to do the same thing more than once. It comes with a little market place where if you buy cards from a certain point, you get a little bonus item with it. It's just lots of little additional things available. Um, what I would say for that new leaf expansion is, yes, it gives you more flexibility to do more things in your worker placement game, when played in four players, it kind of exponentially raises the length of the game. Yeah. In that four people having just like that little bit of extra ability to get stuff done, balloons. And it, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It was a great experience, but we hadn't uh, allotted for how much time it was going to take. Right. Yeah, it went from a 60 to 90 minute game to something like three or four hours. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, we all came away from it with very differently built engines that we were all very proud of. Um, it, it, I've never seen anyone play Everdell and come as close as two of our friends do who haven't played this expansion ever and haven't played Everdell in a while to almost having their entire 15 card villager city completed in the first season. Wow. Said, what are you going to do with the other three seasons? <laughs> wow. credit, they found things to do with the other three seasons. <laughs> yes, claiming all the victory points. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But for, for a game that adorable, I think it's impressive how deep and strategic and crunchy it gets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot going on there and you can really get gritty with it. Yeah. Yeah, Everdell is a very much a favorite of of my wife's. Uh, we play we played it a bunch of times at sitting right over there. But uh, I do not have the complete edition. I I, I have the OG box and only. Yeah. But uh, I've seen the, the, the sprawling uh, <laughs> people talk about it like a like it's it's a, it's a car. You know, you could live in it. It's uh it's huge. 
we've we've yet to try playing with all of the expansions on it at once. Yeah. Which seems like it would be an absolute nightmare and probably not a good experience, but at least once we need to. That's... People on BGG have seemed to enjoy it, so maybe once. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's it's intense. You need a big table. Big table. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Christian, I see that you have uh, played a, a a board game as well. Have we talked about Clask on here at all? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. No. I went I went and did a search, but sometimes it's hard to find everything. Um, Clask is a Danish-designed game. And picture air hockey as like a jumping-off point for what it is. Um, now that you have that picture in your head, it's much smaller. It's maybe like 30 inches long by like 20 inches wide. So very much fits on like a coffee table style thing. Um, it's, I'm not, you know, people listen to the show. I'm not the most nitty gritty, hardcore designer board game person. I love Tetris. I mean, Tetris attack. Uno. I love Tetris attack. Tetris effect. I love Uno attack. Uh, I like fun, quick playing games. What was that game we played Jeff with like, um, where you, you were the old West guy, pew pew in through a little, oh, town. Um, flick, uh, em, flick em, em up, flick em up. Yeah. yeah. I love stuff like that. I love, I love that. Clask is very much in that vein. Um, I love this game, and dare I say, it's still in the honeymoon. We got it as a gift from my um, sister-in-law for Christmas. But this might be my favorite board game of all time um, because it really plays into the competitive nature of like fun, silly, like playing cornhole in the backyard with friends or horseshoes, something like that. So you can picture air hockey, a mini air hockey table. Um, But it it is... uh, there is a four person version, but the core version is two people and you have a tiny picture, a, um, a, a rook, a chess rook piece yeah. is the top playing piece that then you control under the, or a bishop, a bishop, not a rook, a bishop. There we go. I know my chess, a bishop piece. And you control by having under the table is a strong magnet cylinder that attaches, you know, that magnet to your bishop on the top of the table. And that's how you move your, piece around on the board basically it's air hockey without any potential for hurting your hands yes yeah there's your hand is below the board by the the air hockey (laughs) (laughs) yes yes your hand is below the board and you're trying to get this little yellow ball into a circular small circular goal on the other player's side and they're trying to do the same on yours air hockey soccer, all of that stuff. And then in the center of the board, there are three little magnetic, we call them biscuits because they look like little biscuits um, that are in the center of the play field that you can hit uh, with the ball and bounce around the play field. And so the way that you score, you can either get the yellow ball into your opponent's goal. Your opponent can have their bishop-like figure detach from their magnet, which kind of also justifies or limits how much you can kind of whip your little guy around because if you're swinging around too far too fast you know magnets only so strong it will kind of come dislodged that you can score that way if they drag their bishop style character into their goal you also score because you'd be trying to like defend and you lose track of where your little net is your little goal drop it in there or if two biscuits magnet on to the opponent's little bishop character. So you can, you know, try to play strategically and like bounce the ball to hit the biscuits to be on their play field. Now they can't really bring their piece over there because those biscuits will jump onto the character and, you know, you'll, you'll score a point that way. It is so easy to play. 
it looks nice on a table. We've had ours out on our coffee table since we got it. People just come over like, oh, what is that? Oh, we need to play. And you're done in, you know, five, 10 minutes. And because the shape of the thing being this, again, from chess, a bishop style character, there's not tons of control. I'm sure there is. I mean, I've watched some tournaments. There is a skill level like anything where you're like, oh, ping pong, how hard can that be? And it's like, oh, never mind. You uh, play in the Olympics. <laughs> I'm sure the same is true of class, but it, it is a small circular shape hitting a spherical ball. So there's only so much control you have. And because it's limited by the strength of the magnet, there's uh, imprecise action throughout the game that makes it fun for me and my seven-year-old to play together. And there's a chance that she'll win. You know, it's like even more so than button mashing your way through a fighting game. Like anyone has a chance to win. Um, Again, beautifully designed, nice wood board, simple to put up and put away. There is a four player version. That's a circle where each person has their area, which I imagine is even more frenetic, but it makes for great tournaments. Um, Like friends come over doing a little round Robin style thing. I cannot, praise Clask enough. If you are looking for a fun, fast, you suddenly become overly competitive uh, playing with your friends. I think it is an easy recommend. You should buy it already if you haven't and it play with everyone you love. K-L-A-S-K, Clask. Christian, you got to get a crokinole board next. I think you'd love crokinole. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. I've got to ask, how stable is that table when you're actually playing it? Because it looks kind of flimsy in all the pictures. No, very stable. It is solid wood and it has like um, rubber grip bumpers on the bottom of it. So the table itself doesn't move. And then in the center of the table is a piece of wood uh, that comes down in the middle Mm -hmm. as well. So you can't, you know, I couldn't reach across the table and hit your hand. You're limited with what you can do. And I think also, again, because of the limitation of the strength of the magnet, you're pl- you're you know you're not hitting this thing as hard as you can yeah. but yeah we've never had any issue with the table um becoming unstable during play awesome that's classic uh i want to actually use uh, my little moment here for uh uh tabletop time to talk about a game that i just backed on kickstarter i don't know if it's going to be great but it looks great and i feel like our audience might want to know about it uh because i didn't know about it uh, until I, I found it here, and I'm uh, really glad I got to back it. It has 11 days left to be backed on Kickstarter as of this recording. Uh, so 11 days, which today is the 22nd of uh, January. Um, it's called uh, Once Upon a Line. This is a narrative word game that uses something that I've never seen in board games before, a scratch-off pad. So imagine like a lotto ticket or a lottery ticket where it has that uh, the little gunkus that you scratch off, uh, which you might think to yourself, that sounds like a, uh, a terrible thing to have in a board game. But I would urge you to take a look at the video because it looks like a brilliant mechanism. And it comes with a it comes with a tool to scratch the uh, the little gunkus off the, the little lottery ticket schmutz. I don't know what even you call that stuff. The residue oil. Foil? Yeah, foil. Okay. Stuff that gets under your nails when you're like, I know I have a coin or key somewhere. Eh, forget it. I'm just going for it. So the idea here is it's a word game where you're trying to find words like in a like a like a you know, like a six-year-old's word search, you know, like you get at the on the kids' menu at the at the diner, you know, it's like find all the words, but they're concealed with that foil. And so you you play the game and you get these clues. 
uh, that allow you to scratch off bits to try to find the words. And you're, you're like, oh, I, it's sort of um, almost like Battleship where it's like, okay, I know, I, I feel like there's going to be a word in this section. And you start scratching off and you may uncover like a, a skull and bones thing where it's like, oh, you don't get to scratch off anymore and you get a penalty. But if you uncover a word, it gives you powers. That word gives you a power to play in future games to scratch off more stuff, to get more powers. It looks really cool. And it has like this big narrative. So you're telling a story the whole time. Again, I'm talking very enthusiastically about a game I have not played. So grain of salt with all of this because it's just something that got me to back it. But it's also only, uh, well, 39 quid, right? That's what you guys would say. It's a, it, it, it is British. It's a, it's a, um, in pounds. Smooth, Jeff. You you fit right in. Wow. <laughs> Our audience now thinks think that you in... no longer live in Colorado. You've moved to the UK. <laughs> you think that they'll was... invite me over to play Terraforming Mars with them? Christian? <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, Dice Tower has a preview as well. As it, I, I'm not, I'm not looking at right now. I'm kind of looking yeah. at right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, uh, yeah. That's how I find. I'm loving the artwork. It's beautiful. It, it right. It's very cool. Anyway, yeah. I, I get nothing if you back this, but you don't back it. I don't. I don't care. I'm just saying. I, I bet I did, and uh, I'm, a, I'm looking forward to spring of 2024 when it arrives at my house. I hope. <laughs> I, I, I sure can't point to any board game that has a mechanic quite like this, and that's right. always exciting. <laughs> Exactly. That's why. That's why I'm. Uh, I'm into it. I, I love narrative in board games too. I love how they pull off narratives. And um, I know you. Uh, you had mentioned in our uh, email correspondence that you guys recently played uh, Betrayal Legacy, which yeah, is we, a game we, I adore. We love. We love narrative in in board games. Like we have okay. a group of. We've got a group of friends that we we're playing through a bunch of legacy games with at the moment. We've played. Uh, Pandemic Legacy Season One so with good. them. We did Clank Legacy. We're doing Betrayal Legacy now. We've got a group of friends that we played Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion with, and we're about to start Frosthaven with. We Amazing. love a good narrative heavy game. For people so that aren't watching the video version of this, Jeff is actively packing his bag and getting yeah, a passport. I, want, I think he just to, bought his ticket. Need to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, my problem, the great thing about Betrayal Legacy is that the, the folks that I tend to play those games with, I have five. And almost every legacy game is only up to four players. And a betrayal is so great because it supports five. And I wanted to play Clank Legacy so bad, but I don't, it's too few players. But I've heard Clank Legacy is excellent. I, I wouldn't have thought I'd enjoy it as much as we did, but like there was a surprising amount of plot in every game of it. It's awesome. It's a very different game to standard Clank. I was used to sort of like, yeah, we get this done in 60 to 90 minutes. And Clank Legacy was, no, we're going to stop like every 20 minutes and read a huge bit out of the book, make some massive decisions, and then games go on like two or three hours. Oh, and they're still right. like, should we play another one today? We can get <laughs> we can get another one out today. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Well, uh, that is going to do it for this episode of DLC, but I feel like I could talk for another two hours. Um, this has been so much fun. Uh, thank you to Laura Dale and Jane Magnet for being here, both of you. Um, excited about your, your book launch, but tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the awesome stuff that you do, uh, in the world online. Uh, you can find me at Laura K buzz on all of the services that have usernames that you can find me on, uh, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, uh, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays my bills. Uh, over on YouTube, I do a weekly series of accessibility-focused video game reviews, so go go check those out. I talk about how we can make video games more playable by more people with more disabilities. Um, what about you, Jane? Uh, I make music, design t-shirts, podcasts, I do video editing. 
can find all of my stuff on my link tree. It's linkter.ee slash Janiac, J-A-N-E-I-A-C. Very, very cool. Uh, Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, Mr. David Chen and I are recapping uh, uh, episodes of HBO's The Last of Us after they come out. That first episode is out now. You can find it at Decoding TV, wherever you get podcasts. He also has it up on the Decoding uh, TV YouTube. The first episode is out. The second episode will be coming out very shortly as we are recording this here um, Sunday morning in the U.S. before the episode has aired on HBO. But right after that, that episode will be out. There's already one bonus episode out as well. I think the first bonus is free for everybody after that is going to be to um, paid uh, subscribers of we're at decoding TV. And those are a little more spoilery in the sense that we talk about differences between the game and the show, the main show at decoding TV, we are approaching as first time watchers. So you, we wouldn't even say like before that said on the show, we wouldn't even say, Oh, clickers come in or something like that. It is very much as a first time story experience watcher, which has been super, super fun. And then also over on the official The Last of Us podcast feed, a long form chat I did with Neil Druckmann um, dropped on that feed. That was the feed where we did the part one and part two story with with Neil and folks over at Naughty Dog. But we did a bonus episode um, that came out, I think, last Sunday. That was a long form conversation about adapting the the game to the show and some of those challenges and stuff like that really really awesome conversation so folks can find that over there and then also spoiler there's going to be another one of those that we will be recording in the future that will come out i believe after the show has wrapped where we will talk more in depth about all of those things um but uh if you want last of us content and you want more last of us content from me it is very much available right now, and the feedback so far has been great. So hopefully, um, if you're digging the show or the games, you're listening to that stuff, and you're digging it as well. Awesome, dude. Very, very cool. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, I have other shows, including the Filmcast, talking about movies and TV shows. Uh, you can find that uh, anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And uh, I do a sports show called uh, uh, The Fan Controlled Show. You can find that wherever you get podcasts by searching for Fan Controlled Sports. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Laura, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Um, have either of you watched the TV show Severance? Oh, I love it. So good. Yeah, yeah. I, I Look, this may be singing to the choir, but I, I talk about this anytime I get half a chance to. I think Severance was the best piece of TV last year, best he- piece of TV in many years, uh, best debut season of a, of a new property for certain. Um, for anyone who's listening and hasn't watched it, it is a show about a relatively modern day world in which there is a company that is so worried about company secrets leaking that they say, hey, if you want to come work for us, we're going to have to split your mind into two halves. The second you walk through the door to work, you will not remember your life outside. And the second you, you know, leave work, you won't remember your work life. That shows character acting is superb. It's, um, fully committing to a, a, a very simple to explain world building choice and really getting into the specifics of what makes it work is superb 
um, trying to solve a mystery when you have all the information, you just half the time don't know half of the information makes for a really great setup. And my goodness, I don't know a TV show that has done such a good job of peppering little things all the way throughout the season to have like the final 10 minutes or so of that season finale was just perfectly lined up dominoes one after another perfectly knocking each other down it is such good tv 100 percent agree who knew ben stiller would be one of the, my favorite yeah. directors you know amazing absolutely cannot fault that show it is superb yeah it's another one of those shows of we've getting to the last 10 minutes it's fine it doesn't matter if we don't get another series of this i you know i'm happy that we've got a really good show and then the ending happened i was like when's the next one I need <laughs> exactly yeah we, it's we were both having, yeah we were both having that conversation of like this could be like a really good uh self-contained story it's like no no it can't we need <laughs> uh jane do you have a parting gift uh, yes, a podcast called uh, Someone Dies in This Elevator. It's a, uh anthology podcast about people who die in elevators in various <laughs> ways. And it can be everything from um, uh, ancient ruins, people investigating and then having run-ins with like weird ancient deities. Or it could be uh, two weird wheelchair users trapped in a burning building in the in the elevator and just the narrative between the two of them and it's sensitive or really funny or just interesting action for like a just a 20 minute podcast and everyone is very different amazing just in their second season so it's it's getting along so there's plenty to listen to if you're interested i have not heard of this but that sounds Mm -hmm. awesome someone dies in this elevator cool very cool christian spicer what about you parting gift Surprise, The Last of Us. Sometimes we give really? a parting gift. Yes, sometimes we All give right. a parting gift for the our audience. Mm. Other times we give it for you, Jeff. Um, there is a show on HBO called The Last of Us. You, that, do you think that I have not watched it? I, I thought you were saying you didn't know if you were going to be able to watch You were like, I don't know if I can I watch it. I watched the first I episode I and, I was, and I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this to myself. It's very oh, dark. It was, it's very grim. And I, I know it, that because I played the games, but... It feels relentlessly grim, and it and I, I played the games before I had children, Christian. Now I have children. <laughs> I, I I am of course very attached to the property, and, and was before I had done any work with the folks who made it. Um, but yes, it's around a dark time. But I also think the story is is so much about hope and and love and joy and and finding those things in dark times. Um, and so I want to recommend it to people who didn't play the game, who think it's, you know, too dark or it, it, I mean, it's not a comedy, right? It's not, you're not, it's, <laughs> uh, it's not mythic quest or something like that by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think it is prestige TV, right? Like severance also is dark. Um, it is not a, that's a future I want to live in. And I think if you are drawn to prestige TV, if you have avoided, HBO's The Last of Us because you're like, oh, the game's not for me or the story's too dark or I've seen too many zombie things. Give it a chance because unlike so much zombie media and much like the game, it is about people and it is about humanity. And I think there's something really fresh and optimistic about those interactions and those small moments in the middle of a dark place. Um, and the show is is truly special in, in what it brings to the table. I mean, over 10 million people have already watched it, I was, so I, I don't think... I was just going to say, Christian, you're spending your time uh, shining a light on the second biggest HBO debut of all time, really uh, highlighting hey. that hidden gem that no one's heard about. 
when you're lost in the darkness, look for that light that everybody's already seen, I think is how is, is yeah. the quote. But it's excellent. And yes, everybody should it's very watch well it. Made. If you haven't, very well made. watch it. Yeah. Um, my parting gift uh, quickly is a, uh, a film uh, that I think just hit theaters called Living. This is a remake of an Akira Kurosawa movie from the 40s, I think. Um, it is exquisite. It is a beautiful, I call it a beautiful little delicate flower of a movie. It is quiet. It is slow. It is beautiful. It is about a man, uh, Bill Nighy, who I, uh, I, I find uh, amazing. I love his work. Um, very British movie, too, uh, or, um, appropriate for our, our company. But, we get um, it, Jeff. We get it. I want to go there, Christian. I want to go. <laughs> anyway. play board games. Uh, with. <laughs> uh, it's about a man who uh, realizes he only has a, a very short time left to live and is trying to figure out what living is for. And he has been a civil servant, a, a guy who's dutifully done his very boring job for decades and uh, realizes in the course of the movie that the the thing that will give your life value is being in service to other people. And it is beautiful. I, I was very moved by the movie. It is very simple. It is very sweet. And it is exquisite. And it's a movie I hope a lot of people see. It's called Living. Uh, it's in theaters right now. Um, we also got a... Listener su uh, suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Richard in Texas. Richard says, uh, so I've known Netflix has offered games you can download, like the most excellent Exploding Kittens app. But did you know they have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge available for free for Netflix subscribers? It turns out several games that uh, we have mentioned on the show, like Immortality and Before Your Eyes, which we just talked about this week, are available for free. Well, quote unquote free. If you need it, you have to have a subscription. But just search Netflix in your app store and browse the others apps made by the same developers. Uh, so there you go. Uh, if you want to play Shredder's Revenge, which was on Christian's top games of the year, uh, and you have an, a Netflix subscription, it is ready for you there. Thank you, and it Richard. supports controllers as well. Uh, the touchscreen is like fine, but uh, you, it supports controller support on uh, iOS. So it's a great way to play that game. And uh, we appreciate Richard pointing us to that. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on the show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Laura Dale, Jane Magnet, Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Thanks to our theme song composers, White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Thanks to our patrons for making this show possible. We could not do it without you. It's patreon.com slash dlcpod. You can get a swag for our show. T-shirts, hats, all kinds of cool stuff at dlcswag.com. And our topmost uh, patrons, the hype train level patrons, they get their names read out at the end of every episode, which I'm going to do right now. That's right. It's time to thank... Our hype train patrons. Patrons like Tyler Buckwild Broad, Stephen T. Seifert, Rob Wonder Rob Dominguez, Kevin Eddy, Joe DeFrank, Scott Lambert, Hyperboy66, David F. Sure you can. Comedian Aaron Trahan, John Cisco, Relentless Rex. Michael S., Mac Valdez, Andy Joyce, Anthony Goulas, Kyle Starr, Riley Knox, Rob Rickman, 
Dan Flanagan, Sasan, Adam Denby, Hank Patton, Cheesy Bob, Scooby Diesel, Jonathan Talbert, Victor Valenzuela, Matt Bradley, Chris Zacharias, Jeff Luxack, Will with 1L Harris, Jonathan Putney, Mitchell Ness, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mark Gowland, Malcolm King, Dan Palmino, Ben, Stu Goss, Jenny, Kevin Brazel, Zachary White, Nick, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast, Travis, Soren Silk, the Spiceman Silencer, Mike Lombardo, Travis, Michael Buck, Jackson, Michael Stadler, Peter Olberg, Nick Strauss-Klein, Josh Peak, Jed, Christian Bravery, Octavian Ratio, and Jason Novak. These are the people that support the show at the hype train level. And we are thankful for each and every one of them. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.